Good morning, everybody. I'm glad that you're here joining us either in-house or, or online. And I would thank you for, for uh, uh, braving today and just the, the, the cold. It's, it's uh, spent five years in Chicago, but it's been a while since uh, I felt this cold for this long uh, in, in one place. And so hopefully, uh, hopefully warmer days are around or ahead. Uh, can't wait for, for baseball season when we start hitting things instead of having to stay inside and, and worry about being warm. But if you're here with us today or joining us online, if you'd let us know where you're joining us from, uh, you can do so at our, uh, at our Connect page, cchmd.com slash connect. And uh, you can go there, fill out the connection card. Let us know where you're uh, joining us from today. If this is your first time, you can also simply text the word new to 240-347-0897. And uh, today, if you want to follow along, uh, on uh, with the sermon notes, you can do so on the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, you can search for the Church of Christ at Hagerstown, and uh, there um, uh, you can uh, you'll find uh, a number of different sermons from uh, f- from the past. And uh, you'll you'll see today is a cost of discipleship. Cost of discipleship is the one that you'll want to uh, to click on uh, to uh, to view today. And so you, you want to follow along uh, with that. Before we get into today's message, we've got a couple of prayer requests. One, we've prayed for uh, uh, Mr. Harold Simler for a while, and uh, he's been experiencing uh, uh, some, some, uh, set, uh, some physical setbacks kind of with uh, his leukemia and just some other uh, things going on there. And so he's, he's uh, not well enough to be here with us today, uh, but uh, we want prayer for him. But also uh, for, uh, for Mark Smith, his, his mom fell and broke her hip late last week. And I had to have surgery, and, and uh, uh, Mark said that she's seemingly doing better because she's starting to get just a little more surly. And so, you know, sometimes as, uh, as we start to get better, uh, we start to get a little crankier. And so uh, we are thankful for, for, her, uh, for her recovery and just pray for her as she continues to recover um, uh, at this time. So if we can be in prayer for them, and uh, let's do that before we go, uh, get any further. Father, we thank you for today. We can gather in your house and we can sing these praises to you that you are God above everything else. Father, you are our creator, that you are our maker, that you are the one in whom we can trust. Father, we thank you that as we gather together, you don't seek just our comfort. Father, that you, you, you even long to break us in those places that, that we need to be broken so that we can resemble you more. And so, Father, today as we come and we sit at your feet, Father, would you allow your word, would you allow your word to do its work in us? Father, you would call us out of the comfort and into the wild. Father, we would uh, consider and count that cost and, and count it uh, worthy and count it uh, worth it to, to, to walk in step and walk in time with you. Father, we thank you for uh, the faith of, of Mr. Harold and, and for, for um, uh, Mark's mother. And Father, just our faith that they have in you. And Father, we just pray for healing and for strength. And for comfort at this time. Father, as they, uh, we pray that you would help them to, to return to full health. That you would help them uh, to, to get stronger again. That they may uh, uh, do the things in their life and in, in, in their uh, things that, that, that they enjoy doing. That, they, that they bring them hope and bring them peace and bring them comfort. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you most of all that you died on the cross for us. Father, that you went through that level of discomfort that we might be restored back to you. You gave your life willingly, that we might have life eternally with you. Father, help us as we open up your word today. May we seek understanding, that we be changed by it, that we can go and change the world around us. Father, we thank you for Jesus, and in his name we pray. Amen. Have you ever experienced buyer's remorse? 
When you ever experienced buyer's remorse, you know, you know that feeling, you make a purchase, you go and you buy a certain thing, uh, and, and, and in that, you all of a sudden afterwards, you think, oh no, did I buy the right one? Right? Or, or, or no, did, did I pay too much? Could I have gotten a better deal? If I would have just waited, could I have gotten something better? Has anyone ever experienced buyer's remorse? You know, when we do this, we go through and we think, man, did, did I could have gotten a better deal? And we, we begin to count the cost of what we purchased over what we could have maybe held on to for later. And maybe there's a certain part of it that, that we experience uh, FOMO. Has anyone ever experienced FOMO, that, that, that fear of missing out? Right? You know, it's like you, you, sometimes in life we make a certain decision, and by going down that road, all of a sudden it eliminates all these other options, right? You know, it's like I choose this, and so that means I automatically can't choose that. And maybe you make a purchase, and all of a sudden uh, that purchase maybe isn't quite what you thought it was, but now you lack the time or the resources to do this other thing that looks really good. You're like, oh, if I would have just waited, I could have done this. And so sometimes in life we have this fear. Of missing out. And so in life, we have to count the cost. We have to consider the cost. What, what, what will uh, doing this activity or, do, or purchasing this thing keep me or prohibit me from doing later? And sometimes it leaves us paralyzed, right? Sometimes we, we have this analysis paralysis. We're like, okay, which is better? Which way should I go? What thing should I choose? And sometimes it leaves us frozen because it's not just the short-term cost of right now, but what about the long-term costs down the road? What will this commitment keep me from being able to do or participate in? Because sure, that new job opportunity looks and sounds great. It's more money. You know, it, may, it, may, it may provide some more financial freedom. But are the hours worth it? You have to travel more. Is there, is there a level of stress and responsibility that maybe you're not quite ready to take on just yet? Sure, that new car would look great in your garage, right? I mean, and you say new car and garage. I'm like, yeah, that new car would look great in my garage. But do you really want to take on that level of debt for a depreciating asset? Are are, are you willing to 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 go into that level of debt to to afford? Can can I afford even for the down payment? Can I afford the cost of that vehicle? And so, what do we do? We count the cost. We do the same thing with relationships, volunteer opportunities, hobbies, things we want to get involved in. Right? Wait, wait, do, do I have the time in my schedule to invest in this relationship, to, to invest in, in this hobby, to invest in this thing? Do I have the time, do I have the bandwidth to, to do these things? I think sometimes that's why we have a number of different service opportunities here at the church that left, get left unfilled or filled by the same people who are already doing so much. Because sometimes we count the cost and we currently have opted for our, our current, maybe even comfortable position rather than extending ourselves in that way. We don't open up ourselves to certain people because we know that either, uh, because we, we, we know that the way we feel when we, we've, we've been together with them. All of a sudden it's like, whoa, I feel far more drained and far more worn out because the, the cost of, of carrying this relationship with them may make us feel drained. And so we don't have, maybe have, have time to add another relationship. So oftentimes when we count the cost, we end up prioritizing comfort. We end up prioritizing the, the status quo. Sometimes even maybe sometimes prioritizing upward advancement or, 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 or some sort of uh, more desirable position. And we do this all the time in big and small 
ways. See how this applies to our relationship with God. See, there are certain demands that he makes, and there are certain times that we go, Jesus, you're just, you're just asking too much. You're just asking too much. And so I wonder if there are, sometimes there's parts of Jesus' teaching, his, his law that we can't possibly hold on to because of maybe a personal belief, a political position, or just a differing priority in our life. Sometimes when we read scripture, we go, geez, I can't do that because of this other thing that we hold on to. And so the question for us becomes, which one do we hold on to? And which one do we let go of? Do we hold on to our personal belief, our political position, our priority, or do we release that and take hold of the way of Jesus? See, Jesus has this conversation with his disciples before the, he sends them out on their first missionary tour, their first ministry tour. They've been, they've been with Jesus. They've been following him, and, and he's about ready to send them out and say, here, go put into practice the things you've seen me do and the things you've heard me say. And I believe in these words, we will find out how to rightly count the cost in our life. So if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 10, or as, as I said, you can follow along there on the uh, YouVersion Bible app. And the, the text is right there for you. Uh, we're going to start in verse 32 and we'll look through verse 39. And so Jesus is giving these, these, these instructions to his disciples. This section actually goes back into the very end of Matthew chapter 9. Matthew is kind of uh, circulated around five different sermons. And this is the second sermon here in Matthew 10. As Jesus is kind of preaching, he's teaching to his disciples, here's what life is going to be like on the road. Here's how you go and do ministry. And so he began to help them put together a kingdom priority. Here's what life is like. Here's what you should do. Here's how life should go when you go out there. And he, he begins this section by praying that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus looks out over the crowds. He sees they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he says, Lord, uh, send out workers into the harvest field. And Jesus is going to send his disciples as an answer to that prayer. And sometimes we want to pray that same prayer, right? Lord, Lord, send people out that, that we might change this world for you. And sometimes, sometimes we're the answer to our own prayer. We ought to be the ones to go. So Jesus is coaching. He's trained them for this, what this journey will be like and for what life as a disciple will be like and what it means to be a citizen in the kingdom of God. And he says this. He says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before the Father. In heaven, but whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The first thing we see in this text is that there are no ninja Christians. There are no ninja Christians, right? They're, they're, we, we can't just go into hiding. We can't just, just, just hide away and not be out there. Jesus says, if you fail to acknowledge me before men, I will fail to acknowledge you before the Father. 
So how do we then acknowledge him? How do we, how do we uh, put ourselves out there? How do we uh, 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 let others know where we stand? See, the, the job of a Christian and the job of a disciple of Jesus is not to hide in the shadows. Well, there are, are Christians around the world who have to meet in secrecy for fear of their life, for fear of imprisonment. Often we see in those cultures, in those places, a greater urgency for evangelism. We see a greater urgency to share their faith. And while they have to do so in secret and in quiet ways, they are hardly secret about their faith. What makes it quite interesting that here in the U.S., where we have extreme freedom, and the ability to share with anyone at any time about our faith. We have the freedom to, to worship, to gather, and to evangelize. Why do we choose to be so quiet about our faith? Jesus is saying, go. Go before men. Go out and tell others about me. That word for acknowledge that he uses, the word for acknowledge is our same word for confess. It's a word for confess. And specifically means a verbal confession that we actually have to use the words of our mouth. And you might think, be thinking, Mike, I prefer, I prefer a lifestyle evangelism where I just let my actions do the talking. And I think that's important. I think our actions need to be out there. I think people need to see that we are Christians long before they hear that we're Christians. But rarely do our actions help others come to know Jesus. Our actions alone are not sufficient to help others confess Jesus with their mouths. You might think, Mike, I, I like the words of St. Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. And that's a good quote. But you want to know when it's necessary to use words? Almost all the time. Because if, you know, while my wife knows sign language, she might be signing something to me that I have no clue because she's going so fast and she knows the words. And so then she has to finger spell and I've got to think, what letter is that? That doesn't make sense. Or sometimes we think I'm just going to do these actions like this and it's going to communicate to my spouse, my children, my coworker, that they're going to get the idea of what I'm trying to say because my actions are going to do the talking. You know, it's like the, 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 the wife who says, hey, sweetie, you, you don't say I love you enough. And the husband says, I told you I love you once. I'll let you know if it changes, right? My, my, my actions are saying it. No, no, guys, that's, gonna be, that's, that's not going to go well for you on Valentine's Day, right? If you say, my actions are showing you that I love you. Sometimes, sometimes others like to hear our words too, right? And same thing with our faith. You can say, hey, my actions are speaking louder than my words. And we need our actions to accompany our words. But if we never open our mouth and confess Jesus and, and, and share with others our story, how are we to expect them to know how to come to faith? How we expect them to, 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 to hear and understand the invitation that Jesus calls to them through us? And sometimes we think, well, well Mike, if I open up my words, it's going to put me at odds with other people. Guess what? Jesus said that's the very reason why he came. Sometimes our words will put us at odds with others. But we should never seek to be offensive, right? 
The cross in and of itself is offensive. The cross in and of itself tells us that we are lacking something. The cross in and of itself says that we are not whole, that we are not full, that we, cannot, we can never accomplish it on our own. And so while the cross ought to be offensive because it tells us that we lack, our actions, our words should never be offensive to those who are around us. But sometimes as we have this battle of, of, of positions, this battle of worldviews, this battle of, of wills, this battle of priorities, sometimes the things that we say will rub up against someone maybe in a way that is difficult for them to hear. But Jesus says that he came not to bring peace, which is odd. It's kind of this paradox of someone who is one of his titles is the Prince of Peace. He says, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And what he's saying here is not that he didn't come to bring peace because he obviously did. Through the cross, he makes peace between man and God. He makes peace with our sin that puts us at odds with God. He came to bring peace. But he also came, he also came to bring a sword. Because if, 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 if we want to hold on to comfort and think that comfort is peace, Jesus is going to sever anything from our life that keeps us from living wholeheartedly for him. He's like, I even came to bring sword, a sword to your families, to your closest relationships. See, the sword mentioned here is, is not the broad sword. It's more of the small kind of dagger kind of sword. It's, it's, it's one that might have been used in sacrifice. And it's the one that is used in, in Hebrews 4. It says that scripture serves as a double-edged sword. It cuts to even the, the bone and the marrow. It, it, it cuts through everything to, to, to eliminate all the, 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 the fluff, all the extra to get us down to what God really wants us to be. So Jesus says, I've even come to bring division inside a family. See, the peace that Jesus was pre- preaching could not handle compromise. You cannot achieve peace by compromise in the message of Jesus. No, compromise with evil, if we compromise with evil, there's no way for the kingdom of God to succeed. And so Jesus does not bring peace as the world gives. It's not like, it's not like we're just going to get along, to go along to get along, or get along to go along, or however that phrase goes. Jesus isn't compromising just to make everybody happy. He's like, we're, we're, we're going to get on board with me because I know the way to go. Jesus, if you follow me, then you will know peace. But if you stand in opposition to me, you, there will be no peace but a sword. See, the peace of Jesus only comes after evil has been conquered, after Satan has been destroyed through the victory won at the cross. And so Jesus says, I have not come to bring peace, but I've come to uh, a sword. I'm, I've come to turn a man against his father, uh, Daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. Maybe you maybe you've experienced that in your own family in different ways. Is a man's enemies be the members of his own household? And this would have been hard to hear. This would have been hard to hear because uh, even in the church, our family is is one of those components that we hold on to. Family is one of those things that we think makes this church strong and significant. That we just have this family feel about us. That we all know each other, that we all uh, 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 care so deeply for one another, that has made this this last year so difficult, being uh, having to worship in, in in at distance and and in smaller groups in different places. It's made some of that connection feel a little bit more difficult. 
Jesus, sometimes, he goes, I, I've come to turn family against each other. And that word, turn against, literally means to incite a riot. We've heard that word a lot in our news recently. And isn't it interesting that our Savior, who's the Prince of Peace, came to incite a riot even in our own families when the difference is in our spiritual allegiances. He didn't come to incite a riot just to incite a riot. But if our spiritual allegiances are different, if our spiritual allegiances do not drive us to Jesus, he says, I have come to start a riot in your family that we might draw us closer to God. Jesus' driving passion is peace, but not at the expense of truth and not at the expense of discipleship. I've come come to, to stir up a riot that we might turn this world, this generation, this group of people closer to me. That we might separate ourselves from the evil and from the sin of the world. And that we might drive ourselves closer together as a family of God. And so if those words weren't difficult enough, Jesus then takes the next step and says one of the most difficult things uh, in all of the Gospels. He says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And you're going, isn't there a Ten Commandment about that, right? Honor your father and mother. Jesus, okay, we're just going to have to trust Jesus. He says, anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And any of you who have children are like, there are days, um, right? <laughs> there are days that's really easy. I love Jesus more because Jesus is compliant with me, right? Yeah. He, Jesus' room is never dirty. And he always eats his peas at dinner time. It's just, there are these things. And Jesus says, no, no, no. If, if, you're, if you love your family more than me, you're not worthy of me. I can't. Jesus, they're my family. They're, 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 they're my blood. They're, they're, my, they're my people. And, and, we, and we learn that salvation is hard. That it is, we can never earn it. But that doesn't mean it's free. Jesus expects us, if we're going to be his disciples, if we're going to be his people, that we have to submit everything of ourselves to him. We have to submit everything under him that whatever stands in our way, we have to remove so we can follow Jesus completely. He demands that even we surrender our family, our money, our position, our power. And those unable to give up family for devotion to Jesus, he says, are not worthy of him. Craig Blomberg says this, devotion to family is a cardinal Christian duty, but must never become an absolute to the extent that devotion to God is compromised. Devotion to family is is a core, is a cardinal Christian duty, but must never become absolute to the extent that devotion to God is compromised. 
Who do we love more? Do we love the people that we see? Do we love the people who, who, are, who are part of us? Or do we love our Father? And the interesting thing is we love our family more. We love our friends better when we love Jesus first. And sometimes it's hard to get that truth wrapped around our head. Because it's hard to see, it's hard to love and pursue things that we can't see. But when we follow Jesus first, we love others best. Jesus keeps the difficult sayings right on going, right? He, he goes on and he says, whoever uh, does not take up their own cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And this saying kind of gets lost on us because we'll say, you know, yeah, I've got to bear my cross, right? I've you know, I got this difficult boss at work, and so it's just my cross to bear. You know, I, I, you know my, my children are being difficult. It's, it's just my cross to bear. And that is not at all what this phrase means. Yeah. What Jesus is saying is, yeah, because in the first century, in, in the context in which he said it, the cross is a form of execution. No one put their shoulder to the cross and did not, and, and, and came back alive. It was a one-way ticket on a journey that you would not return from breathing. And so Jesus' question to us is, are you willing to give up all of this? Are you willing to give up your life? Are you willing to take up your cross, lay it down, and die? Because if not, you're not worthy to follow. And you might be thinking, but, 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 but Jesus, I got this ambition. And that ambition, and I've got this desire, I've got this opportunity, I've got all these things that I want to chase after and pursue. And Jesus says, are you willing to, are you willing to lay those aside and follow me? Because if you're not, you're not worthy of me. So the cross was an instrument of excruciating torture and death. Crucifixion was the Roman form of execution. The Jews, they executed by, by stoning. I've been doing a lot of Old Testament reading right now in my devotions. Like they do this, you take them out and stone them. It's like, whoa. You back talk your mom and dad. Take you out and stone you. So children, consider that. Be thankful that we no longer live in Old Testament times. Because I would have been stoned a long time ago. But Jesus, we wouldn't know this for sure, but he might be foreshadowing. In just a few months, he will shoulder his own cross and bear our sin and die in our place. So these words eventually prove especially personal. Whether, we, whether Jesus foreshadowing that is unclear. But he may just be using the phrase, take, the cro- take his cross, as a phrase to simply imply personal willingness to die, to sacrifice one's life. He might also be implying that we need to walk in his footsteps and die to ourselves that we might be able to walk and live with him. Jesus summarizes this whole section by saying this. He says, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And right that's a paradox, Jesus. How, you, you, you can't flip, how do you flip those things around? Hey, if I'm find, finding my life, I'm losing it. If I'm losing my life, how does, 
How does that make any sense? The first, in a world that exalts freedom and individuality, the, we find the very thing that our culture seeks, their own freedom, their own life, their own way, is the very thing that's taken from us. See, the first half of the sentence refers to our physical life. The one that oftentimes either we or those who we live with find most important. That if we seek to advance and better our own life, that becomes our singular goal is to, is to improve and find our life here. Well, Jesus says, you'll be met with death at the end. You will lose it. And everything that you've built, everything that you've worked towards will be gone. We passed on to others. Jesus, if we seek to find our life, we will lose it. But the second half of this verse is not referring to our physical life. That referring to is referring to the eternal rewards of the disciple. That if we are willing to lose our life, give up our way for Jesus, for the gospel, for the kingdom, then the end we find life, not just in the ever after, but also true life in the here and now. See, it's not just referring to martyrdom. See, because many, many who have followed Jesus have marched into martyrdom, but others have been called to a more difficult task than dying for him. That's living for him. Those are the words of, of Mark Moore. He said, many have, been, have followed Christ, have marched into martyrdom, but others, others have been called to a more difficult task than dying for him. See, dying for Jesus has a definite end. You have a moment in time where you die for him and then you enter into your reward. But often what is far more difficult than choosing to die for Jesus is to live for him daily. When we constantly have the call and the noise and the the, um, uh, 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 banter of culture calling us into something and pulling us in, in so many different directions. Can we keep our vision? Can we keep our mind focused singularly on Jesus and the cross. Far more difficult task than dying for him is to live for him daily. See, our commitment to Christ and our resignation from the world is singular. And this is the lifeblood. This is the, the heartbeat of Christian discipleship, of our commitment to Jesus. Not only are we promised a better future, but also in reality, we're promised a better life today. That better life today may not look like the life we thought it was, the life we thought it would be. It might even not look like a better life to those who live around us. But I can't fathom that we get a life that we can't even begin to fathom because it doesn't look like we like the life we had designed, but a life designed by our creator. You see, it's only after a seed is buried in the ground that it springs to life. It's only after a caterpillar entombs itself in a cocoon that it can fly. And it's only after a Christian carries a cross that he finds the fullness of life. So we don't find the fullness of life on the front end. We don't find fullness of life without sacrifice. We don't find fullness of life without a little skin in the game. We can't sit in comfort 
and experience the fullness of life that Jesus promises. No, we have to leave the status quo. We have to leave the comfort behind and be called into the wild, into a world that we can't control all the pieces. And when we choose to give up our life in the here and now and take on the life of Jesus, there we find the truest life of all. See, our sin has, has marred the image of God in us. And fi- we find it oftentimes very difficult to follow Jesus on our own, and in our own way. Because after every, in every effort that we make, all of a sudden pride begins to sneak in, doesn't it? Look how good I am. Look at the progress I'm making. Look, look at what I've done for Jesus. All of a sudden this pride begins to build into us. We have this wrestling match between our way and the way of Christ. He took Jesus carrying his cross and dying for us to have the possibility of new life. See, our sin keeps us from being able to rightly count the cost on our own terms. We need the work of Jesus to straighten and to clarify our vision, to correct our knowledge, and to help us understand what is best for us. So we try to do the dying on our own. We play the role of martyr in our own life. Pride sets in. When we die to Jesus so that Christ might live in us, it becomes this beautiful display. When we die to Christ so that he might live in us, it becomes a beautiful display to others. What Jesus says it looks like when we lose our life for his sake in the gospel. That there in that place we find our real true life. We all want a better life, don't we? We all want a life where we don't have to wear masks in public. Where we can uh, spend time with friends and family as, as we please, as we desire. To go and to do the things we want and not feel uh, uh, worried or encumbered by by a virus or by uh, political positioning or by, by, by anger or, or, or by um, uh, any uh, racial or, or, or economic tension in our world. We want, we long for those days. We all want a better life. But if we seek to better our life on our own terms, we will never gain it. Our only thought is getting that next thing, getting that job. I wish I lived in that neighborhood. If I had that body, all those things, all my life would just be perfect. But sometimes the price to pay to get those things keeps us from the one thing that is needed. Sometimes we pursue our desires to our ends and our means. It keeps us from the heart of God. One thing my dad taught me was the importance of faith and family. In that order. Those were his top priorities in life. Without those ingrained in me from a young age, I might not be standing here in this place today. So at some point, many of us have counted the cost. We've counted the cost and we've determined that that Jesus is better than any other alternative out there. But sometimes, even in choosing that, we still sit on the couch. We still sit in comfort. We still hold on to the status quo. When Jesus is calling us into the wild to do what is next, to be, uh, to help bring someone else closer to him. And along the way, we all must determine if the words of Jesus are true. 
Do we value this life so much that we're willing to risk the next? Are we willing to give up a bit of our here and now so that we can experience true glory? So are we going to trust him enough to go all in with him? Are we going to follow and step with him? So maybe today, maybe today you need to make Jesus your Lord and your Savior. And so we want to help you with that. We want you to, to let us know that's your decision. And you can do so by going to cchmd.com slash connect. By, by filling out the connection card and there in the list of things, there's a box that says become a Christian. And, and, and if you mark that, we will see that. We will follow up with you. We will we'll help you walk through that process. We will help you take, take you through that journey of acknowledging him, of confessing your sin, of making Jesus your savior, of being baptized and him to be identified with Jesus. You can also simply text the word life to 240-347-0897. Jesus calls us out of this life and into a life, only life that he can give. But the only way to get there is to leave the comfort, is to leave the status quo and to step into the wild and go where he calls us. For some of us, that's the next step we need to take, stepping into that relationship with him. Some of us, we need to take that next step of deeper faith, of deeper following, of, 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 of greater commitment, of, of putting our faith in action, of putting words to our faith, of sharing what we believe with those around us. Jesus says, we count the cost. Have you counted the cost? Are you willing to give up the here and now? Just a bit of your here and now that you might have true glory with me. I'm going to pray here. The band's going to come. We're going to sing one more song to kind of drive this message home. The song of, of commitment, just a song that we can uh, think and, and pray about and prepare our hearts as we begin the thought of leaving here today, of walking through our week. How will we follow and step with Jesus? Pray with me. By the way, thank you. Thank you for the, the love you have for us the life you've given us in Jesus. Father, I thank you that you have, have called us out of the comfort, out of the status quo and into the wild. Father, would you help us to walk in step with you? Father, we give up our life here for the glories that await us in the future. Father, would you help us to lead others to know that too, to acknowledge and to confess you with their mouths, with their lives, that you would be glorified in all that we do and all that we say, that you would be lifted up, that you would be made great. Father, help us today to commit to following in step with you. You'd be glorified in us and the world would know that you're God. Father, we thank you for Jesus. In his name I pray, amen. Would you stand as we sing?